Good morning. Last night's beautiful full moon here in Syracuse, and I imagine at DBZ as well, shining on the snow. I was reminded of Soenaka Gaoroshi ushering us to the rooftop of the building where Theater Arts Books was located. That was the publisher of Namu Daibo Sa, a transmission of Zen to America. We looked up at the full moon and Soen Roshi laughed. We are the members of the Nose Hole Society. Today, we are commemorating Myo On Chiko Maureen Stewart Zenni. She was a treasured student of Soan Roshi. On his final trip to the United States in 1982, he asked her to meet with him at Jorakuran, the Beecher House, at Daibosatsu Zendo. And he said, tell your students to call you Roshi. This was not a formal transmission, but a private heart-to-heart -heart acknowledgement. And afterwards, when she told us about this, true to her unpretentious, modest demeanor, she said, just call me Maureen. She was a key figure in my life first as a Dharma sister and friend, and later as a teacher. And many of the early Sangha members at Hoenji back in the days when the Zendo was in the attic of our house became her students as well including Jinen, who is here from Germany today. And I know that my own teaching has been thoroughly infused by her way of being. Maureen was born in Saskatchewan, Canada, on March 3rd, 1922. And from childhood on, she was passionate about the piano. When she was 
11 years old, she was sent to a boarding school in Winnipeg, Manitoba, because of her precocious talent. She was miserable there. Music was her solace. She was asked to give piano lessons at the school when she was 12. And she taught piano for the rest of her life. Continuing her studies in music at the University of Manitoba, she began performing in concerts and received many awards, including a grant from the French government that enabled her to study in France with the famous musicians, Robert and Gabi Cassadessieu, Nadia Boulanger, and Alfred Courtauld. After returning to the States, she met and married Ozzy Friedgood, a designer and manufacturer of children's toys. She continued performing and teaching while raising their three children in New York City. One day, she took a different route home after dropping her son and daughters off at school. And she saw a sign on a brownstone on the corner of West End Avenue and West 81st Street. It read, Zen Study Society. She rang the bell. A young monk, Taisan Shimano, came to the door. When she asked if she could come in to learn about Zen, he stuck a piece of paper in her hand with the Zazen schedule and closed the door. A few days later, walking in Riverside Park, she noticed an elderly figure, quite thin, with prominent ears and a shaved head, wearing the robes of a Zen monk. They looked at each other in passing, but didn't speak. Maureen returned to the Zendo for two beginner's workshops, and then signed up for a week-long session to be led by Hakun Yasutani Roshi, who turned out to be the Zen monk she had seen in the park. She and several more seniors and students took the train up the Hudson to Pumpkin Hollow the Theosophical Society's retreat center where the session would be held. They were all speaking excitedly and the conductor came over and asked where they were going. We're going to a place in the mountains, one of them said. Oh, will there be entertainment, a floor show, 
he asked. Maureen found herself saying, oh yes, the floor show goes on all day. That was in 1965. She continued attending nearly every session offered from then on. On September 15th, 1968, Yasutani Roshi, Soe Nakagawa Roshi, and Taisan conducted the formal opening of the Zen Study Society's new home in a renovated carriage house at 223 East 67th Street. Maureen was among the more than 200 people who attended. She had met Soen Roshi earlier that summer. And from the first, she felt a special connection, what she called an open channel. That fall, he conducted Yukai for Maureen and several others, and he gave her the name Myo-On, subtle sound. Myo can be translated as subtle or mysterious or wondrous. Myo-On. As I mentioned last week, Lou and I were in France in 1968-69, but began sitting at the new Zendo after we returned. And I first exchanged words with Maureen, whispered words, during a weekend session in 1970, as I wrote in the introduction to Subtle Sound, the book I edited of her talks, which is on the altar at Hoenji today. During session, the women slept on the carpeted floor of the second floor library. Now it's the Dharma Hall. We would stow our sleeping bags and other belongings in a walk-in closet where we also kept our meditation robes. That first morning, having been thrust by the shrill tones of the shinrei into a mixture of grogginess and panic, I rolled up my sleeping bag, got in line to use the bathroom, then scurried into the closet to change into my robe. Certain I couldn't last through pre-dawn morning service and zazen without something to eat. I pulled a bag of dried fruit from my coat pocket and sat down among the sleeping bags underneath the coats. An imposing woman with beautiful red hair came in as I was furtive, furtively nibbling away. Caught, I held out the bag to her. Picking out one apricot 
with exquisite grace, she smiled. And suddenly all my ill-defined, stomach-clenching, seshing fears melted away. After that, Ozzy's business moved to Boston and with great reluctance, Maureen left New York City with her family. Son Roshi reassured her that she would find a simpatico Zen figure there in Elsie Mitchell who with her husband, John, had helped establish the Cambridge Buddhist Association. The two women met in 1971 and indeed had an instant rapport. Soon Maureen was asked to lead the Zen practice at CBA and was elected president of the organization. She continued going to Seshin at New York Zendo. Here's a photo of all of us after Nirvana Seshin 1974. I know it's hard to see, but take my word for it. Here is Maureen sitting at one end. And here is Lou sitting at the, no, standing at the very end of the last row and in the middle Soen Roshi and Edo Roshi and behind Edo Roshi's wife Aiho Aiho San Shimano you can see a figure with long black hair that's me So she kept sitting, seshing, and also at Daibosatsu Zendo, which had its formal opening July 4th, 1976. On the last day of Rohatsu, December 8th, 1977, Maureen was ordained at DBZ by Edo Roshi. The ordination name he gave her was Chiko, Wisdom Light. Maureen and I kept up our friendship through the end of my first marriage to Lou, through my second marriage to Andy, through the end of her marriage to Ozzy and through the joyous moments she spent with our son, Jesse, with whom she had a very special relationship. After session here on weekends, she would sit with him on the porch, on the swing, or take him to a store in the area to find crystals and special things that they had, Seven Rays Bookstore. 
I called her with the terrible news of Son Roshi's passing on March 11th, 1984, and invited her to Syracuse to lead a weekend session honoring him. That began a shift in our relationship in which I became her student. Just the other day, I came upon one of my journals focusing on our time together from that year through 1990. Here's an entry from May 18th, 1985 which was also the year of the ox at a session at CBA on Spark Street. On the wall opposite the windows is a large color photograph of Soen Roshi. As we walk through the Kinhin line, we turn and face the photo. The glass reflects the dogwoods in bloom outside the slanting rooftops. Soen Roshi is laughing, his eyes mere slits. In the reflection, he looks like a ghost among the dogwoods. We talked today in Doksan about my forthcoming ordination. What does it mean to me, Maureen has been asking me. I'm beginning to understand what's at the core, what must be. And not an abstract salvation, but starting right here at home. Starting with the endless world of ego, begetting suffering, begetting ego. In our evening doksan, Maureen said, ordination was like nonsense and Zenji's koan, ordinary mind is the way. And as I was bowing, she said, she was reminded of Soen Roshi saying so frequently, ordinary mind is extraordinary mind. And that reminded me of the doksan I had with Son Roshi at DBZ just after the monastery had been built. He and I chanting, together in the candlelight in the front entryway. Again, Khan. And I wrote in my journal, each moment is a bodhisattva opportunity, but ordinarily we don't see it because we're too engrossed in the concerns of ego, the delusions of gain and loss 
to hold this unified mind of Seshin and to carry it forth moment by moment, always renewing. This is extraordinary, ordinary mind and ordination mind. After that session ended, I wrote a letter to Maureen thanking her. And I said, rolling along with you in your tan cloud car on waves of Beethoven. She was like a race car driver. It was truly terrifying to be in Boston with her at the wheel. The jagged edges of the Boston rush hour somehow smoothed out, softened to a delightful blur. When I arrived in Syracuse, Andy and Jesse were playing in the airport corridor. When Jesse saw me, he ran as fast as he could and flung himself at me, gripping me around the legs with all his strength and holding me fast for quite a while. Later, Andy told me that the day before I returned, Jesse had asked, if mommy never comes back, Will we get a new mommy? Andy, quite taken aback, tried to reassure him that I would indeed return. But what if she doesn't? Jesse persisted. Well, what would you want? Would you want us to get a new mommy? Yes, Jesse said. Do you have someone in mind? Without a moment's hesitation, Jesse replied, Maureen. So my ordination took place at CBA on the last day of Rohatsu, 1985. And Maureen gave me the ordination name Myochi. Subtle or mysterious wisdom, both kanji from her own two names. At Rohatsu the following year, I wrote, it's so hard, even in session, not to wander into past and future, even for a split second. And if we die during that state of wandering, we become hungry ghosts. I remember Shido Bunan's instruction, when alive, be a dead person, thoroughly dead, and all will be well. And the saying, die on the cushion not just on the cushion, I wrote. If we die, if we stop planning, scheming, and trying to know everything instead of experiencing it, then we're truly alive. 
as Sohan Roshi told us, living and dying, same. In 1987, Maureen was diagnosed with cancer. That didn't dissuade her from taking a small group of students to India. And she continued teaching with as much intensity as ever. At a weekend session with us in Syracuse in October, 1988, Maureen spoke of actively living in emptiness. The small self is what gets stuck in positive versus negative, health versus illness, she said. Living in health with good cells, bad cells, it's all impermanence. In December, 1988, I wrote, with her Taisho on Sosan Zenji's unbelieving in mind, I really came to understand goalless effort how to sit not for anything, any preconceived end, but just for the sitting with no hindrance in the mind. I have always had at bottom some secret clinging to something approval and doksan, better understanding of my life circumstances, kensho. But this session, I've been softly unfolding more and more into the one essence the emptiness within, the falling away of mind and body. And each time my mind wandered, wondered how I would put it into words, I was able to bring it back to this. As Sosan Zenji said, away therefore with wordiness and intellection, the more with them, the more astray you go. On the last day of that session, instead of giving Taisho herself, Maureen played a recording of Yo-Yo Ma performing Bach's fourth suite for unaccompanied cello. 
And at the close of session, Beethoven's Ode to Joy from the Ninth Symphony. It was thrilling. There were many tears in the Zendo. I could feel Soen Roshi's presence. He loved that symphony so much. And later in the evening, Maureen took me to dinner at Joyce Cheng's, a well-known Chinese restaurant. And the next day, we sat at the kitchen table and I asked if she thought she'd be up to coming to lead session in Syracuse in the spring, or if she'd rather I brought a few students to CBA. Her response was swift and stunning. No. It's time for you to lead your own sessions and give talks yourself. The following year, 1989, Maureen's talks were preparing us for her death. She told me during our last Doksan at CBA, I have chosen a place under the birch trees in the backyard where I want you to spread my ashes. During her teishos that last rohatsu, which were on the 10 oxherding pictures, she talked of Soen Roshi's pure, illuminating, radiant, childlike nature, and how it had evolved through great struggle, great pain. How he spoke always of endless dimension, universal life. That we take this form for a brief period and after our death, our energy continues as it had before our birth. After session, I wrote a poem. Something happened. Happening, no thing. Maureen managed to lead January 1990 weekend session at CBA, but was in great pain. In February, she was hospitalized. She passed away at 4 a.m on the 26th, and her last words were, wonderful peace 
nobody there. No words can convey how deeply Maureen affected me during our 20 years of Dharma intimacy. Working on writing and editing Subtle Sound, which came out in 1996, I listened to hundreds of her Teisho on tape and read the precious journals and jottings she gave me. I'll end with a passage from one of them on Joshu's oak tree in the garden. Many of you know this very short koan. A monk asked Joshu, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming to China? Joshu said, oak tree in the garden. And Maureen commented, the monk apparently thought like many of us, that the holy fundamental truth of Buddhism had to come from some lofty, profound explanation. Joshu quickly cut that off. The oak tree in the garden. Joshu is showing the monk that thinking of Buddha and holy doctrine in contrast to ordinary things is a condition we want to get rid of, a condition of dualistic mind. We are here to break this fixed, limited way of life and be reborn in a world of another dimension, breath by breath. What brought us to wanting to taste this world of another dimension, most of us came through our suffering. Some kind of suffering causing us to ask, what is the way out of this? There must be some way out. There must be something more than this suffering. What is it? Our sadness and our suffering bring us to sitting down on the cushion. And this can lead in two directions. Positively toward more compassion for all living beings or negatively toward sitting on the cushion and feeling sorry for ourselves, self-pity. So what is your choice? Each one of us has to take the responsibility for realizing that the cause of our suffering is in ourselves and will always be in our own internal condition, our own mind. There are lots of 
outside circumstances that are difficult. Lots of people, we think, who make life difficult for us, but it is our response to these things that can make them difficult. Some of us have been looking at that these past days and reflecting on what to do about it. If we say that person or the, those circumstances have made me unhappy, that is the reason for my unhappiness, this grows and grows and we are powerless to do anything because we see it as someone else's doing. If we understand, on the other hand, it is my responsibility that this has happened to me. It is my own action that is needed to do something about it. Acting on it, then sorrow and sadness let go their hold, little by little. And what about the sufferings of other people? The Buddha began his whole teaching from the fact of suffering the holy fact of suffering. This suffering is the beginning of compassion. To accept this holy fact of suffering, we understand more of how this mind works, how to allow its goodness to work, and how to let go of its distortions of reality. Then, no matter what happens outside, we can begin to maintain our composure inside. So thank you, Maureen.